With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Right, welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, a podcast that has been compared to Steve Buscemi's eyes and that were slightly off-putting, but ultimately memorable. I am Jared Stormer of MazeandBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of MazeandBrew.com. Andy, you 14th century Mongolian with the wit of David Letterman and the stanima of a step bison. How you been, brother? I'm well, my friend, you know, listening to Billy Idol on an endless repeat, breaking through the just typical malaise of a work day by thinking about <clears throat> how Mikey Sainer still will be the best cornerback in Michigan history had he been playing it the whole time there, you know, usual day for me. Oh, man, that's just like an appetizer take. Can't wait to rattle some takes off on this one. We got a lot to get to, so let's waste Little to no time. Uh, first quick hit. This one pretty important. Our friends, friends of the pod, Sklar Brothers, will be at the Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase this weekend. Be sure to check them out. Get your tickets online. Um, great Michigan alum. They know their stuff with football and super, super funny guys. So uh, go check them out at the Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase if you are in town this weekend. I will be in town, and I'm hoping to get up there myself. Looking forward to that. Um, okay, other quick hits. We got a lot of them here. We got two injuries that we need to talk about, Trevor Keegan and Cade McNamara. Uh, let's start with the obvious one that needs to be discussed. Cade injured this season, just not going any way how he had planned it in his head in the offseason. And definitely a bummer, but let's talk about this from a football perspective. Where do the Wolverines turn for backup quarterback? 
So after Cade, it's going to be a triumvirate of replacements. Harbaugh spoke on Inside Michigan Football last night and said, you know, if worse comes to worse, they would use the combination of Alan Bowman, Davis Warren, and Alex Orgy. A nice combination together of experience, arm talent, and athleticism and leg talent with Orgy. So they have the they have the contingency in place, but with Cade, man, it's so devastating to see he goes down with a leg injury. Uh, in the second quarter of this one, going to be out a few weeks. Hopefully, he doesn't need surgery. Um, but I can notice this on the broadcast. I didn't know. I don't know if you were able to see it at the game. But McNamara was smiling on the sideline, seemed engaging, relaxed. Is mean the most I've seen him in a long time. Felt like the pressure was just finally off his shoulders for once. So I hate to see it end in an injury. Really sucks, and hopefully this isn't the end for the entire season because, I mean, you don't want to project injury. I don't even like talking about him. I'm knocking on wood as we speak. But should anything happen to J.J., I mean, we had the the best backup quarterback option you could hope for in a Big Ten winning quarterback. So hopefully he's able to come back. Uh, the body language, yes. I uh, wasn't on the Michigan sideline, so I didn't have the best view of it. But on rewatch from the broadcast, I see what you're talking about. Seems like he was engaged, which is what we expect. He was named captain for a reason, and they kind of figured that he would take on that leadership role, even knowing that he might lose the job eventually to J.J., so really hope he can come back. Um, of those three quarterbacks, do you have one that you prefer, or is this going to be a group effort? I think it's going to be a group effort like the latter's last name implies, but if I had to go with one just off the top of my head, I really like what I see from young Davis Warren, man. Seems you know decently mobile, really good with the arm, smart decision maker, and definitely has the biggest upside of any of the three. I think uh, we're in lockstep there. It would probably be him or Bowman because you would not want, I mean, hopefully if somebody did go down, it would just be for a game or a couple plays or something. You would want somebody that knows the offense, Bowman being the most experienced, Davis Warren having the highest upside, and Alex Orgy being the most dynamic athlete, but the longest way to go in throwing the ball, I would think. So, yeah, I'm with you. I would go Davis Warren 1, Bowman 2, Orgy 3, but hopefully it doesn't come to that. Uh, as we enter Big Ten play. And then the other injury worth mentioning there, Trevor Keegan. It's sounding like it's going to be a toss-up for Maryland, but likely good to go in two weeks. Barnhart, I think, is... Or no, Keegan probable. Barnhart questionable is the way that it sounded during the Harbaugh pressers. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, Keegan is um, expected to play this weekend, uh, Lord willing. Barnhart could be this weekend, but... It might hold him out until Iowa just to be safe with everything. But um, no, man, this is um, trending in a good direction. The fact that every team has to deal with injuries. Michigan's been fortunate enough for the most part to only have a few that are just going to require a few days or a few weeks at most, um, except for maybe Dom Gadis, third string offensive lineman might be out for the year, but you know, preserve the red shirt, bring him back because he was coming along nicely with the reserves. Yeah, and Giovanni El Hadid looked solid in some of his minutes, so there are some op uh, options there at the guard position. But hopefully Keegan can go, and he's at near full strength. Need to see that offensive line at full strength. Should get Nikai Hill Green back as well for this game. So looking forward to seeing the defense finally at full strength. Uh, next quick hit: Aiden Hutchinson, Michigan legend, might have heard of him. Three sacks for the Detroit Lions, all in the first half against the Washington Commanders, sets a Lions record for sacks in a game. Uh, I watched this game and it was just joyful to behold. Um, I, there was near tears in my eyes watching him get pressure after pressure. Somehow PFF had him like as one of the lowest graded edge rushers. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and, and tell you that that is wrong. This dude was a game wrecker 
and looks like an absolute building block for the Lions. I'm so excited, man. I mean, he is the real deal at the next level. Yeah, I believe he's tied for third in the NFL in sacks and did all his work in the first half, getting Carson Wentz to the ground. Uh, one of my friends is a Commanders fan. I mean, unfortunately for him, but he is. And he was just saying that Hutchinson is just so relentless. Like, he felt like he never stopped. And I was just echoing what we saw last year. I mean, this is the same guy playing with that motor at the next level. He finally got his sea legs underneath him, and he doesn't have to go against, you know, people like the Raven or the Eagles offensive line. So it's good to see him burst onto the scene like this. You and I knew he was going to like succeed at the next level, but three sacks in his second game. I didn't think I'd see that. Yeah. Could have gone for five, got a little banged up waiting to hear what that is, but he is going to be an absolute menace uh, along with Rashawn Gary and Quiddy pay Michigan uh, really looking like defensive edge university right now. And uh, not saying I told you so, but I did next quick hit. Uh, Miami coach Josh Gaddis under fire. The first team since 2000 to record 27 plus first downs and score zero touchdowns. That's per Matt Brown on Twitter. I don't really have much to say. I just kind of wanted to say that sentence out loud. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> Greg Crippen might be red shirting. How do we feel about this? Dude, save him. Give us the prime years of Crippen. Don't waste him in garbage time. I mean, I'm here for it, man. Uh, Olu Olu team, he looks like just a block out there um, physically and, you know, um, literally not so literally, I should say. He is just a massive man that it seems impenetrable at times. Just a dominant, very stable, durable force. And, no, I think it's great, man. Crippen's going to be a guy. He's already backup center this year. So let's save him when we can use him. There's no need to waste him in garbage time. Yeah, I mean, you and I are here for Greg Crippen minutes. So the more time we get to spend with Greg Crippen and keeping this joke going, I think the better it is for us long term. So I'm fine with that. It is a little surprising since he was our backup center. But uh, last quick hit, Penn State is going to be the maze out. Iowa will be played at noon. Would they dare make Michigan State the night game? That's the kind of the way it's trending. What's your take on this? God, please, God, no. If I think if Penn State is still undefeated, that will be the night game because, I mean, that's probably going to be the college game day matchup. You already have the maze out. It could be just like the Washington atmosphere last year. That is my hope, that Penn State is a night game. I have to attend a wedding that day, which is stupid, and I'm trying to get out of it, but I have to attend it because I'm in it, but it's dumb. But like, if that game's at night, I'll be able to watch it. And then the Michigan State game that you and I are attending, like I don't want any – trouble with the snap i don't want any monsoon you saw what the rain did with the hawaii game i don't i don't want any of that noon is when football is when god intended football to be played and especially against michigan state where it's going to be an inevitable rock fight please god don't screw around this is one topic where uh unusually we actually do disagree but we are totally in lockstep there i mean i don't want any chicanery i don't want any tomfoolery going on with my rivalry games those should be kept at noon and i don't know how this ad doesn't have google or like i mean he was there for the monsoon game uh no 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 wait no he would he would not have been there yeah we would have had a, the the old guy that uh, was giving away michigan tickets on the coke can back then but <laughs> <laughs> this 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 needs to stay at a noon game. The Penn State should be the maze out, like, and just make the maze out the night game. I think that that's pretty self-explanatory. Why are we trying to separate these two things? And then Iowa at noon. I mean, I'm even less frightened now. But yeah, the Michigan State game. Just let's not get cute. I don't care about the drinking aspect of it and and the the smack talking that's going on. Whatever. I mean, they do it down in the SEC. But chicanery will be afoot, and I'm not here for that. 
they do it everywhere. Football night games and rivalries, like it, it happens. And guess what? It's okay. Like it's it's going to be fine. Some people just need to go outside and remember that there is a world beyond Twitter.com. So you know, just keep that in mind. But no, if it's a night game, we'll make the most of it. But for the sake of just like you said, no tomfoolery, no shenanigans. Let's have the game at noon. Let's get it done. Um, and a maze out at night makes so much more sense than a maze out during the day. Like who are we fooling with this? I mean, just from like an aesthetic standpoint, that maze is going to pop way more at night than it is in the day. And I mean, that is, that's that's just basic like object permeance, just being able to like use your eyes to tell things. So I, I don't get why they're trying to get all clever with this thing. Um, plus, I mean, just like the way that the, the timing of it all lines up. So, uh, yeah, well, that's our opinion. Our opinion doesn't matter, but we should know here soon. Sounds like the Iowa at noon is pretty well locked up, but. Um, yeah, a lot of this is going to depend on, you know, what the schedules are and, and how Michigan State schedule is looking by that time. So something to keep an eye on. Uh, we're still going to the Michigan State game come hell or high water. I don't care if you play it two in the morning on the surface of the sun. I'll find a way. Is there any team that has a drastic difference between like fear of playing during the day and fear of playing at night? as Iowa does, because playing at Kinnick at night scares me more than anything, but playing them during the day, I'm just like, Hmm, we might win by 20. Yeah. It's like them and Penn state and LSU, or it's just like, I'd rather not go there at night. You know, I would say that they really stand apart, but during the day I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm taking the cover, whatever it is, whatever that ends up being. So I agree with you, sir. Uh, all right. Any more quick hits and then we can get into what we saw versus UConn. Let's keep it moving. All right, uh, takeaways from this game. I was at this one, my first game of the season. Surely won't be the last. 59 to nothing, domination, quorum with five tutties. Michigan scores 50 and three plus in three straight games for the first time in program history, which is insane because around the time McKinley was assassinated, we were dropping like 70 and 80 burgers. So Huskies were outgained 249 to 64, only averaged 1.9 yards per play. Lifted that from the article that you wrote covering the game. Well done on that. Uh, the teams have been living in minus territory, spending more time in minus territory than Randy Quaid did living in that unsuspecting family's crawl space. So it was domination. It's what I expected, but it was really fun to see it in person and uh, can't wait to see it again next week against a better opponent. But try not to take too much away from physically dominating a UConn team that couldn't run the ball. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely certain things you can take away from this and certain things you cannot. Like the fact that this is Michigan's first shutout since 2019 and the largest shutout since 1975. I mean, that can't be ignored. That is historically significant. But there's just um, other things like, you know, the way they shut down the pass, that won't be the same way against everybody. But um, do you want to start on the offense or defense in this one and really walk through what we see and what we're taking away and projecting moving forward? Yeah, let's start on the offense here, and we'll end with the defense. Um, yeah, I also want to talk special teams in this one, which played a huge, different, uh, huge, huge part. So talk all three phases. But on offense, it, it wasn't perfect, but it was everything that you wanted to see, and it was really complimentary. Uh, they were getting a lot of good field position. J.J. McCarthy, um, really methodical in this day, like the entire offense, not just J.J. It, you know, we've seen him with the the big plays. We've seen him. Uh, get explosive down the field but like how does it work when they're t trying to take away you know the the deep ball and keeping everything in front of them and I thought that we did a good job and, and JJ did a good job just being more of taking what's there 
Yeah, with the first drive of the second half when the game's already in hand, 38-0, Michigan gets the ball back after stopping UConn's best drive of the afternoon, and they orchestrated a methodical six-and-a-half-minute drive, Dinkin and Duncan, like you said, taking what's there, and that just showed the growth of McCarthy. And he spoke to it in the postgame about how, you know, just like, Getting to the next play, getting first downs, getting the ball to them, not forcing the touchdown, just like being present with those decisions. And I thought that was just brilliant to see. I love that he screwed up one read option early in the game and came back with it later and executed it brilliantly. Like he had some learning moments in this one. Like you said, he is human. I mean, he did have two bad plays by my account in this one, but all the rest of them were just positive and the dynamics he brings with throwing the ball, running the ball, and now you couple in his like decision-making, it just opens up a world of possibilities moving forward. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, it wasn't a perfect game. He took a sack where he could have thrown it away, had a three and out with the first team offense that was really early in the game. Uh, but, th- I mean, it's nitpicking just for the sake of nitpicking. He was 15 of 18 for 214. QBR was 63, which seems really low for a quarterback that – like you said, had two bad plays. Uh, Blake Corum really was the beneficiary of a lot of receivers and tight ends getting tackled at the one uh, to have five touchdowns and only 71 yards rushing is is pretty wild. But he was more than happy to, to gobble up those touchdowns and looks more than comfortable running between the tackles. Yeah, he made a joke afterwards about how uh, I guess Schoonmaker and the boys don't want to score bad enough. They have to have me come and clean it up for him. So <laughs> he was more than happy to oblige with those guys falling down just short of the goal line. And yeah, man, just looks very physical. I think he looked the best he has all season in this one. Looked a little quicker, looked a little sharper in his cuts. And not, not to say these looked bad. I'm very much nitpicking with a magnifying glass here. But I was really pleased what I saw from Corm there. And no, man, this offense, you made a great point offline about how last year, if Michigan could not run the ball – it was going to be very difficult sledding for this offense to move up and down the field. But this year, it's much more complementary and balanced to where J.J.'s passing can open it up for the running backs or vice versa with the offensive line being the crux of it all. Yeah, I mean, I just see an offense that's going to find a lot of ways to win. And even when the competition ramps up, uh, I think that you'll see that their play has another level to rise to. And no Donovan Edwards in this one. Um, Roman Wilson didn't see a ton of touches. Uh, Seven catches for Ronnie Bell in this one, which is interesting. I mean, that is a concerted effort to get Ronnie Bell back into the fold. So excited to see that. Um, The use of A.J. Henning, uh, something that, you know, I was really big on early on because we saw it in the spring game. Uh, we heard him talking about it. We're starting to see that ramp up, and I get why. Like, A.J. Henning has a little bit of that Cordero Patterson, Debo Samuel, LaVisca Chenault in him um, in that he's, like, extremely physical, extremely difficult to bring down with a good combination of speed, shiftiness, and a guy that I think needs to get more touches. And you know, by all accounts and by his uh, post-game press conference, he's going to get more touches in this kind of unique hybrid role. Yeah, I love that we finally got to see him as the wide back, uh, caught some balls as well. And no, man, let's use this as a quick transition and go to special teams. And I'm going to let you cook on this punt return because you said you had some thoughts about what you saw in person. Yeah, this one reminds me of the Jabril Peppers almost punt return that was. I think it was against Rutgers, uh, the one that was called back. But it was just like, what did I just witness? This was a different level of athlete back there returning punts. Um, It was like if you combined the physicality of like Junior Colson with uh, the the speed of Donovan Peoples-Jones, like 
that was a guy that would not be denied. It's a little bit reckless the way that he fields punts. He's like very much itching to make a play, but you can tell that there's a reason. Like there's a reason they want him back there because he can do special things with it. I get it's UConn, but he he shucked like three tackles in that thing. It was absolutely electric live, and he knows what to do with the ball in his hands. So that's just another weapon, man. Um, it, it's a dangerous breed of punt returning, both for for our side and mostly for their side because. I do. I am starting to trust him more and more to make the right play. I believe that the last three home punt return touchdowns, you've been in attendance for each of them. If you go back to Peppers against Colorado, Donovan Peoples-Jones in 18 against Nebraska, and then this one. So I don't know what you bring to the punt returning game, but it is certainly something. And as far (laughs) as the uh, rest of the special teams go, man, let's just lay into this, like how impressive it was to watch Jay Harbaugh's group block a punt, return one for a touchdown, not have any kick uh, kickoffs returned at all. Just Michigan hasn't had a punt returned more than 10 yards on them since 2017. I mean, I can keep going. Jake Moody, he had a missed field goal on this one because he attempted it from the moon. Like, I love that they gave him the free range to go out there and attempt it because who doesn't love a ballsy um, just kicker like Moody to go out there and not care about the perfection but go for records? Yeah, I mean, they're just like, yeah, why not? Let's go ahead and line one up from gross point. I mean, it's money moody. He's probably just going to make everything all year. Let's give the boy a challenge. And it was certainly right on line, came up a little bit short, but that just goes to show you the confidence that they have in this special teams unit. You get the block punt by Caden Colasar. Uh, oh, also, I was at the uh, the kick return against BYU as well. So there's been some type of return in like my last five or six games that I've been there. You might be onto something. Good thing... Uh, we're going to Maryland, Michigan State. Might have to find a way to get down to Columbus. Um, yeah, and uh, man, just Brad Robbins. Like, I was actually pumped. The They got that three and out early. The the friend that I was with must have thought I was an absolute psychopath. I was like, oh, we get to watch Brad Robbins pun. I'm actually, I'm actually gassed for this. What kind of lunatic am I watching this game with? But then he just uncorks one. And I mean, it, it landed on one of the lesser moons of Saturn. So I'm just like, oh, I take such joy in the special teams unit. I think they need a like some type of nickname, like the combination of legs, like the femurs of the fall or something, the legs of the north. There's got to be something. Uh, yeah, you're right, 100% right on that. Maybe we should like, tie it to like their facial hair because Moody and Robbins are both like coming through with pretty stellar mustaches, especially Brad Robbins, who you alluded to looking like a railroad tycoon from early 20th century America. Um, but the special teams, man, is it the best like side of the ball, the three sides of the ball in Michigan? Yes. But it's tough, though, because they come in for, you know, one play every, you know, nine minutes or so of game time, whereas like the defense might be out there for 30 something minutes or whatever it might be. So it's a little unfair, but they don't have a flaw in their game right now. So, yes, they are the best, but it's the, the easiest one to be best at by virtue of having the less time on the field, the less chances to make mistakes, if that makes any sense. But, yeah, I, is there a flaw? I don't see one. No, there's not a flaw. I have eyes. Like I in every like <laughs> facet of the game, man, they are just flawless from coaching on down to performance. The holders, the snappers, um, the schemes they design for uh, 
punt returns, kick returns, punt blocks, and things like that are just like really, really impressive. And I mean, you even look back to last year with what they did with uh, Michael Barrett faking a punt uh, so he could like rush for the first down or Michael Barrett throwing across the field against Maryland last year, which is a great segue to talking about the defense and our boy, Michael Barrett. Michael, great segue. Michael Barrett belongs on that field. We were kind of like, oh man, Barrett over Nakai Hill Green to start the season, like see what happens. But the more I think about it, like I've liked Barrett pretty much every time he's been on the field. I mean, he gets knocked down for what happened to that 2020, 2020 team in the COVID year, but nobody had an awesome year in the back end that year. Like it was certainly by no fault of Michael Barrett. So him, he has really come back and acquitted himself well. He is jacked out there really physical for how tall that he is um other guys that stood out i have them bolded here so i guess i need to yell this junior colson and mike saner still good god those guys are football players especially live the physicality man different level i love we had the same two players like in our takeaways and you were at the game and i was at home watching and my goodness, I mean, Junior Colson, every play, he makes the right play. He is a catalyst. He is flying to the ball, playing very reactive and instinctively. And Mikey Sainer still, man, has been playing def- defense for six months at Michigan, and they're deploying him like Dax Hill. He is a great tackler, not a good tackler, great very physical at the line of scrimmage, constantly used in blitz packages, gets his head around, runs stride for stride in man coverage. And like I said, man, if he'd been playing uh, defense his entire tenure at Michigan since 2019, just imagine where he would be. What he's done in six months is almost unfathomable. It's crazy. Wasn't he brought on as a corner, though? Wasn't like that his original side of the ball, then he switched to receiver? I think they, he was a corner and wide receiver in high school, and he came to Michigan to play receiver. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, not knocking him down because it is ridiculous how good he is. I mean, there's times watching him and uh, Green and Turner weren't really tested down the field, but uh, excuse me, uh, Sainra still was. And in that play, it was like, oh, wow, he's right there. The head gets around like he gets into the backfield. The entire secondary can blitz. Um it's it's really the entire secondary and Mike Sainer is still just being a compliment to that. Uh, they're the second highest graded by PFF behind only Georgia. Um, just the entire back seven, man, when you throw Junior Colson and Barrett into there about how smart that they are and what that they what they can do in coverage and, you know, rushing the passer and stopping the run. It's an extremely versatile secondary as physical a secondary best tackling secondary that I can remember like that. Everyone can hit. Yes, everyone can hit. They're willing to hit. They're willing tacklers. They're flying to the ball to disrupt plays. So you just hope the aggressiveness doesn't come to like bite them in the ass at one point or another, and they're, they can rely on their discipline. But there was one play in this game that really stood out to me when UConn's quarterback was rolling out, and Mikey was in coverage, and he was in between a receiver and the quarterback, and he's watching the quarterback. He's drifting backwards. He looks behind him to see that um, DJ Turner has come up out of his zone to guard the eligible receiver, and then he rushes towards the quarterback. And that is just a discipline-type play that you barely see at any level, especially for a guy that's, I say again, only been in this position since March. A guy that knows the playbook, clearly, and just another really, really intelligent player and having so much carryover. And I know we we change defensive coordinators, but a lot of the terminology is the same. So having that carryover in terminology, guys that have been through in this system, 
uh, it's really starting to show because the communication looks great. They're really rushing around. Uh, let's get to the line a little bit where, I mean, I see what you're talking about with Jalen Harrell. I'm ready to move him to pass rusher one. I've got Mike Morris pass rusher two or one B. Uh, and then I've got Braden McGregor, who looks so physical live, man, like just big, has a couple moves, like a little bit headier than I thought. Like he he made a really intelligent play where he um, kind of he hit the the let the left tackle, looked out and saw that there was a wide receiver kind of moving into space that like wasn't going to be something that he could do anything about. So then decides to crash inside towards the quarterback, just like really aware. And it's like, again, guys that have been in this system for a little bit, starting to key in on things that they see on the offense and make the right read. That's extremely encouraging for him. And then Chris Jenkins, man, another really, really good game for Chris Jenkins. So uh, definitely a lot of depth there. But I I think I'm ready for Jalen Harrell past rusher number one. Let's go. I knew it wouldn't take you long to get on board with this one. But I mean, it's an embarrassment of riches up there. And we didn't even say Mozzie Smith, who, again, orchestrates everything by taking on double team after double team to allow these one-on-ones on on the edges. And man, I'm with you with McGregor. He had a play as well. I believe Dew pointed out on Twitter where he drifted back into a a zone coverage and looked over to see where the defender was against their receiver. So he could like how, how he best could attack the situation. He diagnosed it immediately, got his hand up, disrupted some things. So yeah, man, it's really great to see Harbaugh, really harped on him last night about how he's finally getting off blocks. Like he's not just getting like hit and then controlled. The entire Michigan front is doing a great job of that. Jenkins is the guy that comes to mind about getting off blocks. So is Rayshon Benny, Mason Graham as well. Like very, very physical up front across the board. And no one is ever just getting sealed off and dominated. Granted, it's been inferior competition, but like this, these are good habits and traits to develop against lesser opponents. Yeah, and UConn does want to run the ball. Their running back was averaging like 165 coming into this. They weren't really able to get anything going. I think they had 86 yards rushing. A lot of that came in, you know, when it didn't matter and, and you know, garbage time. So they were extremely effective. The first team extremely effective. And it's going to be really difficult to run on this team. And I'm pretty much there and thinking it's going to be really, really difficult to pass on this team too. Um, but like you said, we need to see it against some better opponents. Um, anybody else stand out? Anything else you want to highlight from this game? No, just uh, the team effort, and um, I'll bring it back to your one boy. We didn't touch on too much in the secondary. Um, Rod Moore is our guy. Is I mean, quiet excellence award. But the one I really want to talk about is Makari Page because I believe there are seven defensive backs on this team I trust to start and play well. And the way he's become like the hitter of the group, I'm quoting Jim Harbaugh there, has been super impressive because he's always had the coverage skills ever since he stepped on the field the first time in 2020. But how far he's come in his physicality, I don't know if that's Steve Klink scale, if that's natural development, but man, that secondary loves to hit. And I think he's one of the biggest hitters of them all. Let's go. I love that you're coming on board to Paige. I'm getting there on Sainra still and Harrell. All coming together. Yeah, man, he's super physical and he's like 5% coverage skill away from just being this elite rangy safety prospect. Uh, I'm convinced he could probably also switch over and play some corner. Might not be there yet, like still growing, still ascending, but I totally buy the ascent. Uh, I'm getting in while the price is low because the stock is going to skyrocket and uh I'm not putting the mortgage in it, but I'm like selling that old Toyota I had out by the garage 
getting some money together to throw down on the Macari page stock. Get you the page turner. I think that's a good name for it. Yeah. Yeah. The page turner. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. Had to, uh, had to get a Colson Jersey with just one of the t-shirt jerseys before this one. I purposely don't bring Michigan clothes. So I'm like, Oh no, I don't have Michigan clothes to wear. I better swing by the M den. So I have something to wear for this. It's a strategy. Uh, I try to just convince myself that I need more Michigan clothes by, and it's worked for me. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I am an adult man, and I have an entire drawer and section in my closet dedicated to Michigan jerseys, T-shirts, and apparel. So, you know, I'm not embarrassed by it. (laughs) Nor should you be. You should be quite proud of it, sir. You should be quite proud of it. Um, All right, so we are through a quarter of the season. As it stands right now, we uh, Michigan, the scoring offense, we are number one in the country, 55.3 points per game. We have the number 17 rushing offense, number 41 passing offense, number 21 total offense on defense, so number four scoring defense at 5.7 points per game, 38th rushing defense, number three passing defense, number three total defense. Uh, feeling pretty good about these numbers. Would you say this is about where we should be? Uh, after the the first quarter of the season? Absolutely. I mean, this is all you can ask from the team playing an inferior non-conference schedule is domination. That's exactly what it's been. And of all the stats you give, the only numbers that matter are scoring defense and scoring offense because points tell the points decide who wins, not who has the most yards. So you and I have always been harping on that, and it's good to see that those are the highest numbers for each respective unit. Yeah, absolutely. And the wins, which is three and oh, those are the only stats that really matter. But uh, it's hard to really want more than than what these numbers uh, tell the story of. They tell a story of a very dominant team after quarter one. So uh, that being said, that is a good segue. We're going to take a break. But when we come back, we have the gals from Views from Stadium Boulevard. They're going to help us give away our quarter season awards. Got some fun categories. Really looking forward to having them on and breaking this down. So we will be back right after this. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Want to welcome two of our sisters in arms, Hannah Harshi and Harley Johnson. Hannah, co-author of Fab Five. Harley, one of our writers over at Maze Brew, both of them co-hosts of Views from Stadium Boulevard, which you can find on Spotify or Apple Music. Really good podcast that I've been enjoying this year. Thank you both for joining us for Quarter One Awards. This is an exciting time. Excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. We're uh, we're glad to have you here. Glad to get your perspective. Quarter one this year, a little bit underwhelming as far as the opponents, but that doesn't mean we're not going to take this opportunity to to dust off the black shoes, black dresses, black suits, and have ourselves a little bit of an award ceremony because it's never a bad time in podcast season for an award ceremony. So we are going to go through these categories. We're all going to answer on these. Got some Fun categories for you, and I can't wait to hear where you're going with them. Everyone ready to get this thing started? 
I'm ready. Let's go. Boy. All right. First category is we're going to start with the, the, I don't know about less important. This is a pretty important first category, but maybe a little bit more superficial. The Zoltan Mesco Award for best name on the team. All right. We're going to start with Hannah. Okay. I don't know if I'm allowed to explain my answers, but I'm going to anyway. Um, Hartley and I are big on the alliterative names. So we kind of collabed for this one. And I went with German Green. I like it. Same answer for you, Harley. Oh, yeah. I had Gemin Green, his twin brother. I like it. All right. I, I'm with you. Andy, best name on the team. All right. I'm going to give a few nominees. I'm kind of walk through these, you know, one at a time. Should take me about 15 minutes. Um, so n- name one, uh, Zeke Berry. It's just succinct and it really flows. And it's just, strong. I mean, just great, strong name. Uh, Nico Andraghetto. He has a black eye in his picture. So that also gives him extra points. Um, Omarion Walker, just because his name's Omarion with an A. And I really appreciate that. And uh, the one I'm going to go with is a lesser known player, Alessandro Lorenzetti, because it's just a mouthful and I enjoy saying it. That is a great choice. Definitely somebody that was introduced in the opening sequence uh, at Goodfellas. Uh, that's really good. I mean, nobody mentioned Alex Orgy there. That's interesting. Andrell Anthony is right there for another alliteration, but that's a really good combination with the number one. Uh, I was going to go with Alex Orgy. It's provided the most comedy thus far with the RG3 quote. So since nobody else did, for the sake of parody, I'm going to go with Alex Orgy, but uh, I like a lot of the answers there. Uh, Andy, you certainly have the most consonants and syllables in your name, so that counts for something. Let's go on to the next category, though. That is going to be the Chase Winovich Award for Best Hair on the Team. Harley, the floor is yours. Um, I picked Brad Robbins. Yes. Do you want to defend your answer? I mean, there's no defense is needed, but we'll give you the floor. I don't think I need to defend my answer. I think it's funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm with it. That Brad Robbins would be the recipient of best hair. Yes. I look, say say less. Hannah, your choice. Um, so I went with when Cade McNamara had like blonde streaks in his hair. Um, I feel like when <laughs> I picture Cade McNamara, I still picture when he was just kind of like a funky looking teen on like the on the roster where you would look at the background of a picture and see like a kid with blonde streaks and sunglasses. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's the up and coming quarterback. So that's my best hair pick. I like it. Andrew. <laughs> I love that you came called me by my Christian name. I feel so proper. Um, none of these. I don't know if any of the hair here competes with Colin Castle and side bangs. I really enjoyed uh, <laughs> your guys's banter about that when he was at Michigan. <laughs> it was like our whole personality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he looked like a Confederate war general. And I do like the throwback to Cade McNamara looking like the villain from a Freddie Prince Jr. surfer movie in like 1999. That was a great look that he had going on. Uh, I'm going to throw some love to Mikey Sainris still. I think I I was really digging it. I mean, a lot comes from that Instagram story where he was like posing in front of a Bugatti, just looking dripped out. Uh, but like the 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 dye in the hair is just kind of unique. Got a little Dennis Rodman going on. I'm gonna go Mikey Sainer still here. I'm going Cam Good's beard. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> If we're bringing facial hair into this, isn't it Brad Robbins running away? I mean, I would love to see an overhead view of that that dome. It probably looks like a stadium from space. <laughs> Next category, the Orville Redenbacher Extra Butter Award for best play of the first quarter. And I forget who's first. Whoever wants to go first. I've lost the plot. 
All right. The next award, the Brian Cranston, Jesse Plemons award player who is just kind of hanging around that you expect to break out in Q2. So uh, I believe Harley, who do you expect to break out in Q2 that has not broken out yet? Well, I kind of like based it off of who I saw like flashes of greatness and I kind of wanted to see more of that. Okay. And for me, I want to see CJ Stokes kind of burst out a little bit more. I want to see more Mm. of him. Um, And I kind of like just from what we have seen so far, I, I kind of think that's like in the cards. Um, I'm going to go with Braden McGregor. I feel like we need a star at edge and he could be our guy. I'm just tying them all together here. I'm going with an alliterative name, somebody with a lot of drip on the team. I'm going with Andrell Anthony. The Michigan State game is right around the corner. So, I mean, that's when he shines the brightest. So, I think an imminent breakout is coming for him. Uh, Yeah, he needs to get more touches. We kind of were talking. There was no need to force touches to him early on. But for the future and for the sake of uh, my desire to buy an Andrell Anthony jersey, need more touches. This one was written in stone, um, and I pretty much wrote the category for it. This is Macari Page for me. I mean, I'm here for all the Macari Page minutes. I'm already insufferable about my Macari Page love. Next category, noteworthy newbie, offensive freshman. Let's go, Harley. Offensive freshman. Um, Once again, I'm going to stay tried and true with my running backs because those are my favorite. Uh, CJ Stokes. Okay, I have the Frisbee dog that was like on the field. (laughs) Uh, that is a cop out. I don't know if I could, if we can even accept it as an answer, but we will. All right. We will accept Frisbee dog. We've yeah. gone off the rails. All right, Andy, offensive <laughs> freshman. So I really wanted to go with CJ Stokes here. I know that's Harley's boy. So, uh, for the sake of parody, I'm going to go with Alex Orgy, who has two rushing touchdowns on the season and just flashing some potential as a red zone running threat. I love to see. Yeah. I mean, it probably is CJ Stokes. There's not a ton of options, which is why we'll accept Frisbee dog in this instance. Um, I'll go Colston Loveland just for the sake of parody, but yeah, on offense, we haven't seen a ton of freshmen come in and make a huge impact. All right. Next category, the resplendent rookie, pretty much the exact same thing for defense. Let's hear it. Hannah. Okay. I thought this one was hard, but I went with Derek Moore. I feel like he could also be a shining star at edge. I got uh, Mason Graham. Yeah, I think Mason Graham is the choice here. Uh, Funny anecdote about Derek Moore. uh, When Jared and I were at the spring game, had a little bit of a buzz on, you know, as one does for those occasions. And we thought Rod Moore was Derek Moore for at least a quarter. And we're like, no one is going to stop him. Look how big he is. (laughs) So, but... That was always that always like cracks me up thinking about Derek Moore. I think Mason Graham's the answer, but I also want to give some shine to Will Johnson. He got cooked on one route late. I love seeing the newbies uh, get acclimated to it and really adjust the learning curve. And besides one play, he's just been a shining star out there. And the kid is an athlete, just really destined to be good there. Yeah, I think we gave notice to all the players we need to give notice to. I'll give it to Mason Graham just to shade over Will Johnson. But uh, yeah, we touched on everyone that needs to be touched on. All right, I believe this is to Harley. This is the Chris Evans Vegas odds to date Kim Kardashian spiking out of nowhere award. The breakout player on offense. Who you got for Q2 and beyond? Or no, excuse me. This is for Q1. Just who was the breakout player for you on offense? Um, It's funny that it's the Chris Evans award because I played Blake Cora. <laughs> All right, I have the easy answer. Jonathan James McCarthy. Facts. 
Jesus James McCarthy is the probably the correct <laughs> answer there as far as breakout and standout. Andy, who you got? Uh, I'm going to give a little bit of a sleeper here. J.J. McCarthy is the answer. Um, just no notes. Uh, I'm going to give some love to Max Bredesen, though. Had a big play late in the Hawaii game and then entered as the third tight end against UConn. So love seeing him fly up the depth chart. I like it. We're digging deep here. Uh, it is Jonathan Jesus McCarthy. Uh, that is definitely the answer here. I mean, nobody else has really popped. You could give it to Olu, but that was a Remington Award nominee last year. So if you're even if you're trying to get cute, um, but uh, the only other answer that uh, didn't get touched on here, Roman Wilson, probably a star. Kind of surprised that he didn't get mentioned there. That is definitely a number one wide receiver. All right, and the final category, a star is born, but only like the first 45 minutes of that movie because the rest of it's super depressing. The breakout player on defense for Q1. I want to steal Harley's answer now because I think we <laughs> we had a slightly different, um, we just had best defensive player, but Harley's answer fits really well for this category. I have written down Mozzie, unless I think of someone else. Should I think of someone else? Mozzie. I was like, I've got y'all's boy, Mikey Sanders, too. Yes! <laughs> God, I, uh, that's the right pick, Harley. Yes, he's been playing the position for six months. Let's give the man the love he deserves. Let's grade it on a scale. Let's weight the experience to the performance. I digress. I'm going to go with uh, Junior Colson. He's been a rock in the middle of this defense. He's everywhere. He just gets better on rewatch, playing with a fire and edge, more instinctive, more reactive. Just, Jared, that's been your guy since, like, April of two years ago. So it's really nice to see this one come to fruition for you. Yeah. you. Kind of, I mean, I'm not even going to say you stole it. I'm just going to pile onto it. Cause for me, it's junior Colson. Uh, other nominees that could be in consideration would be Jamon green, DJ Turner. Uh, Macari page is certainly popping. You could pretty much choose anyone on the defensive line. Lots of answers there, but I'm sticking with Colson. That is one of my many boys. Uh, Ladies, thank you. This was quite enjoyable. Tell me and tell the listeners how they can listen to your stuff and give me a little bit of a rundown on what's going on at Views from the Stadium Boulevard for those that haven't tuned in. I can hardly jump in if I'm missing anything. Um, so we started our podcast when we were in college. So it was kind of from like the college student's perspective. We're no longer in college, but it's still from our perspective. Um, you can find it anywhere that there are podcasts. Follow us on Twitter as well. And our goal this season, Arlie, yeah, can I say it? Sure. What we what we have up our sleeve? Okay. We really want to do um, a live stream of us trying to play Minecraft and talking about football after a game on Twitch. So follow us on Twitter because we've been trying to make that happen. We just don't know how, but we will make it happen. Definitely. Also, uh, Hannah, throw, throw a shout out to your book there. I mean, this is the first time we've had a published author of at least the written word, not the blogosphere word on our on our site. Yeah, I believe all your words on the blog are, in fact, written, but that's okay. Um, um, yeah, it's called The Fab Five, Scrapbook of a Revolution. It's not the Mitch Album one. I am not Mitch Album. Um, but yeah, it came out a couple years ago. It's kind of a, I always say it's a picture book. That's not quite true. It's like really, really big captions of pictures. So it did take some writing. But I have your book on my shelf. None. Yeah, exactly. And nonetheless, you are a published writer as well as Harley, whose work you can check out over on maizeandbrew.com, our sister in arms over there. Hannah, Harley, thank you so much for coming on. And we'll do this again sometime. Until next time, go blue. Go blue.
All right, thanks to Hannah and Harley for stopping by doing some Q1 awards. Pretty obvious that uh, Q1 is the least important quarter in this young season, but nonetheless got out of it with uh, where we needed to be and what we needed to get out of it. Looking forward as we enter conference play, though, we've got Maryland this week at the Big House. I will be in attendance once again uh, with my father for his first time in the Big House. That's going to be a pretty awesome one, pretty special one. And... uh, not pushovers. We're starting to get into the part of the schedule where if you get caught sleeping, one of these guys could get you. But talking with you off air, I don't think you and I are quite as high on Maryland as we were in years past. No, last year, I think um, you've always been a little higher on them and their potential offensively than I have. But even I last year was more afraid of them than I am this season. Uh, last year, where it fell on the schedule, being right before Ohio State had me worried and sandwiched in between Penn State as well last year. Um, but this year, I just – their offense looks a little, you know, uh, I look at it as, like it has a governor on the engine. Like that can be good and bad because turnovers are down uh, to uh, a Tyloa turtle to his younger brother is uh, become very efficient. I believe he's leads the nation in completion percentage right around 77, 78%, which is nuts, but it's very just like dink and dunk. The running game hasn't been established and defensively this team is abhorrent. Yes, I'm with you there. So yeah, let's start on the offense where this game will be decided our defense versus their offense because Talia Tugavailoa is a solid quarterback. You and I have kind of gone back and forth on this. I kind of have like a dog in the race in that uh, there is a literal dog in my parents' home named Tua after Tua Tugavailoa, uh, the Dolphins quarterback. So there's like a vested interest with my family that the Tugavailoas succeed. And you're right this year about changing the game plan. That is likely going to be a conscious decision by Mike Loxley to kind of limit those turnovers and limit that gunslinger nature of turtle tug of Iloa into something that could be a more winnable brand of football. Now that definitely would work if it weren't for the second thing that you mentioned, which is their defense, which the S and P has as just really, really far below average. Um, I'm not going to sit here and try and explain S and P, but they would have them as one of the bottom third defenses in the nation and didn't look great against SMU. There was a couple guys that I liked. Um, I really like a guy in their secondary, Bo Brady, uh, like their leading tackler in the secondary who, who looks really good, but other, just as a unit, I'm not trusting this Maryland defense. No, and Maryland's had a few standout players over the years. Like you think of people like Darnell Savage or DJ Moore, guys like that that really jump off. But it's just the cohesion they've been lacking. Like Mike Loxley's done a fantastic job improving steadily every year. Last year, getting to a bowl game for the first time since 2016. But I just don't know if they have the dogs needed in this one, whether it be physicality, whether it be complimentary football, because while their offense could do some things, I think the defense really sets up for a Michigan game where they're just going to be steadily worn down. Cause you remember last year, they were actually pretty good against stopping the run, like did a serviceable job compared to some other teams and really forced Donovan Edwards to get involved in the passing game in this one. But I'm also really excited uh, to see Blake Corum to finally get a play against Maryland. Blake Corum has never played against the Terrapins. Oh, that is an interesting nugget. I did not know that. That is exciting, and he's healthy. He looked really good against UConn. Didn't have to rush the ball a ton to get to those five touchdowns, as we mentioned in the first half. So he should be good to go. We don't know what we're going to get with Donovan Edwards. 
but I, I think I like where your head's at and that this is going to be a running back centric focus. And uh, if Corum and Edwards both can go, it's it's really going to boost my confidence. If it's Corum and and Stokes and Gash, I'm still going to feel pretty confident that, you know, we can get A.J. Henning involved in the running game as well. Uh, one of the things that I am watching, speaking on the run game, though, is going to be the right side of this offensive line where you and I were we're nitpicking at this point. I mean, because what else? We, we have these three games to overanalyze, trying to find if there's some weaknesses on the team. And, you know, it's not perfect. And I think we both agree that the right side of the line might need a little bit of adjusting as we get into Big Ten play. So uh, I don't know how you feel about that, but I'm definitely going to be watching the right side, in particular, Trent A. Jones. Yeah, that's been the one weak focal point that has really jumped off the page to you and I, and I think a bunch of fans at large. So we're definitely like magnifying the issue because of the sample size and everything else. And maybe Jones is just getting acclimated to all the starter reps. Like he's going to have still one or two bad plays. It's just about mitigating those. So watching him like continue to grow and develop will be key here because, like you said, it could be. He could lose the job potentially to Carson Barnhart when he's healthy, if he's playing better, because as we know with Sharon Moore, like the best five, most cohesive five will play. And just as we saw last season, like the five that were playing against Washington were not the same five that were playing against Ohio State, Iowa, and Georgia. Yes, 100%. And then uh, from quarterback position, this is going to be the first real test for J.J. McCarthy. Uh, their secondary, like I mentioned, has at least one good cornerback. I'm not sure how I feel about the safeties and linebackers, particularly uh, when they do go into zone. It seems like there's going to be a lot of seams, so could be an Eric all day if they're trying to match with zone coverage. When they go man coverage, I mean, nobody's keeping up with Roman Wilson, so definitely uh, something to watch you know with JJ McCarthy this is going to be a, a big game in evaluating him but then on the other side of the ball uh, I'm definitely watching the secondary you and I spoke really highly of him in the first half this is one of the better quarterbacks on the schedule I would say probably number depending on how you feel about uh, Sean Clifford I would put him at the the second best quarterback that we're going to see um, I, I'm a bit more of a believer than you are so this is a great game to evaluate this secondary i think we both know that this is a tackling secondary this is a, a secondary that's very physical how are they in coverage against rakeem jarrett and against dante demas and those guys and, and roman hemby as well their running back is pretty electric this would be a big game to test their discipline because last year if you remember in college park there were a few miscues and uh, Turtle just missed two wide-open touchdowns, like overthrew the ball, let it sail like out of the end zone. But he had touchdowns, and they should have had more points on the board. So he kind of bailed the secondary out, and I don't think he's going to make those mistakes this year if there is any miscommunication on the back end. So I think it'll be a big test for them how they play, if they can get pressure with four, if they mix up those exotic third-down blitzes. Uh, Mike Loxley spoke today in his press conference about the team has to be really good on first and second down because what Michigan's doing on third down is just very, very exotic and hard to predict and hard to figure out. So I think that's going to be a test for them. But also at large for both sides of the ball, I think one of the biggest keys in this game is penalties. Michigan has been called for only eight penalties all year. It's tied for third in the country for least amount called. And Maryland has been called for 31 in three games. They've been called for, on average, more penalties in one game than Michigan has on the season, and those are going to add up in this one monumentally to deciding that. Yes, uh, 
penalties, definitely something I have my eye on, as well as special teams, where against SMU, there were a couple miscues and near miscues on special teams, and I believe we have a huge advantage there. I think that there could be some issues with them if A.J. Henning is allowed to have some space, could see them try to keep the ball out of his hands, which could mean things like uh, position, uh, field position could really come into play on this one. There's, I mean, it's it's going to be an, an interesting matchup for a lot of reasons, and a lot of what you said there on the defense is totally true. And how does our pass rush look against a mobile quarterback? Can they get home? Who is actually the best pass rusher? You can start to separate yourself, you know, when it's not just beating your man one-on-one. -on -one. What happens when you have to locate the quarterback, close in on him? Can you, you know, disrupt the throwing motion, things like that? And he can escape a little bit, and he can do some stuff outside of the pocket. So that's going to be another great thing to watch. No sacks against UConn. They were definitely getting the ball out quickly. They want to run the ball. Um, but against Maryland, we should be able to pin our ears back a little bit more. I say R, what am I talking about? I'm definitely not lining up next to Mike Morris. That would just be a frightening prospect, but they are definitely going to pin their ears back in this one. I think two things I'm really watching as well about the defensive line and the offense as well is just how do they adapt to playing a four quarter game because none of them have like, they've all been able to rest for the majority of the second half. And like, if the game is close, like how are you going to go in the third quarter? Blake Corum talked about in his press conference this week about this team hasn't faced any adversity. So they don't really know who they are yet or how good of a team they can be. And secondly, um, with this team coming into it last year, if you remember Michigan's conference opener was Rutgers at home and it was perhaps their worst performance of the season. Just couldn't move the ball in the second half. Running game was shut down. McNamara couldn't complete a pass. And the game happened right before the second conference game of the year on the road, big test at Wisconsin. This year, Iowa and Kinnick are looming after this. So I want to see how focused they come out with the jump of competition from the non-conference schedule and not looking ahead to the Iowa defensive challenge that's presenting itself the week after. That's a great point. But one good thing about this schedule is that this is the first jump up. So there should be no reason to look past Maryland because you could kind of look past your first three. Whereas last year you had Washington at night early on in the season. That was a, a big, you know, that was a, a tentpole type of game, one that everybody had circled. Didn't end up being, you know, quite the game we thought it was going to be, but it's certainly better than Hawaii at night. So I think that just the jump up in competition, these guys should be pretty fired up for it. Um, from Maryland's perspective, how do they keep this thing close? I think they really have to be efficient on first and second down. Uh, defensively, they have to be physical. They might have to take their chances with the long ball and really load the box up and try to force McCarthy to get greedy, miss some deep throws. And special teams-wise, they have to play perfect. They can't have the little mistakes and miscues. And as well as the costly penalties, like they have to try, try to stay on schedule, avoid third and longs, because if you're getting in third and longs, then Turtle's going to be forced into mistakes from the pass rush. He's going to be looking at some coverages he's unfamiliar with, turnovers lead to it, and it snowballs, and it quickly becomes the Iowa-Maryland game from last year. 
Yeah, I think that Roman Hemby uh, looks like he's going to be a critical player in this. He had 151 yards rushing along with 62 yards receiving in the last game. They were trying to get him the ball in a lot of different ways. If you can get him going and take the pressure off Italia, having to make these, like you mentioned, just having to be a superhero out there, that's when things can fall apart, and that's when those interceptions will start to snowball on him. So, yeah, if you can take the pressure off him, you wouldn't, they probably want to try and establish the run. I don't know how well that's going to work against that front seven i mean the mozzie smith now he finally gets to eat like a full game i imagine he has quite the appetite so i I agree with a lot of what you said uh so let's let's get into predictions here but first let's kind of look at how we saw this one when we were previewing it in the off season uh we had key players of the game in this one or breakout game blake corm and dj turner feels like uh pretty safe picks those are my picks i don't remember who you had i only keep track of my own stuff uh, you can get your own secretary over there but we have the spread for this game at minus 20 current spread 16 and a half so not bad no not bad i think we're right on the money because you and i are both in agreement that we think the spread should be a little bit higher yeah, so at 16 and a half, I did bet it when I was up in Michigan right after the UConn game as soon as it came out. I think that we will cover the spread, but uh, let's get into it, man. Let's get your uh, players of the game and predictions. So I'm going to kind of piggyback off of our predictions in the offseason. I think Michigan's going to come out here, want to be physical at the point of attack and slowly start to bully ball Maryland down because last year they were a little more formidable in the interior and put up more of a fight. And I just don't know if it's going to be there this year. I think it's going to be a huge Olu Oluwatimi game. I think he's just going to be a road grader. I think Corm is going to get a bulk of the work, especially if Donovan Edwards is still out. And uh, I think it's really going to open up things and make life easy for J.J. McCarthy. Like, I think the way we'll be able to like establish the run, always establish the run, is going to open it up for him and let make the decisions just present themselves to him and just really illuminate the answers. And defensively, I think Maryland is going to score some points in this one. I don't think it's going to be a lot personally, but I think uh, they'll be able to get pressure, force some turnovers, probably an interception in there, and uh, really create short fields for the offense to operate on. I like it. Did you give your score prediction in there? Ah, score prediction. So I think this is the first game Michigan does not break the 50 barrier. The streak will end, but I still think it's going to be a decisive 49 to 10 victory. Well, that's a beat down. That's that's a heavy, heavy Michigan favorite. I see a lot of uh, what you were talking about there. I think that you really want to keep the ball out of Talia's hands and you don't want to make JJ come out and be a superhero, similar to what I was saying about Turtle. Uh, so this is the first game that really matters. First game that counts. So do what you're best at. And that is run the ball. And that is play strong defense. Don't let them get anything going with Roman Hemby. Uh, win the special teams battle, which I expect them to do. Field position is going to be key. Win the turnover battle, which I expect us to do. We've been really clean in that department so far. And keep everybody, you know, keep everybody moving downfield. So, you know, fall falling forward for, for Blake Corum, much like Hassan Haskins used to do and giving us, you know, the shorter down and distance, make it a little easier on JJ. I think that it shouldn't be a problem. I don't quite have it as big of a blowout for you, uh, but I think your players of the game in this one, I am going to go Blake Corum. I'm going to stick with my preseason prediction there. And uh, yeah, uh, why not? I'm going to stick with my exact preseason prediction of Blake Corum and DJ Turner. Sounded good then, sounds good now. I've got it 38-17. Do you think the Maryland defense holds Michigan under 40? 
No, no, I don't. But it could be like a combination of things. <laughs> could be like a combination of nerves. Could be a combination of uh, they're holding on to the ball longer than we expected. So there's just not enough opportunities to score. Um, I get what you're saying. I don't trust their secondary, but I do trust their offense to maybe try to play keep away. Okay, that's a, a fair deflection of that. Like, if you know when I asked you that, it was out of a petty place. Like, how are you serious? You think Maryland is going to do that to this offense and offensive line? But I understand where you're coming from. I don't know if I gave my players of the game. I said Corm's going to have a big day, so you and I will share that. But for the sake of parity, I'll say a Roman Wilson. And defensively, I'm going to ride with my boy. I'm going to ride with Mikey Sainer. So we're getting a pick on the board this weekend. This is a good weekend to get a pick on the board. Would love to see the turnovers start to become more uh, frequent this year. That would really uh, behoove this team at this point. And this is a great opportunity for it. If you pressure Talia Tagovailoa, there's going to be some opportunities. I like it. Ride your boy with Mikey Sainris still. And after seeing his Instagram story and what that man's got going on on his weekends after game night, I don't think that he's lacking for confidence. So here for it. Here for the Mikey Sainris still. You, you might have to throw a, another jersey into your closet after after what we saw in the Instagram story. Very confident young man. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Just leave it at that. Uh, all right, let's look around the Big Ten really quickly. There were some noteworthy games. Oklahoma absolutely destroyed Nebraska. Doesn't look good for Mickey Joseph's chances to take over there after that one. But uh, I am buying Nebra- uh, Oklahoma's defense after that. Not Big Ten related, but I think I might have them as my number five team because Nebraska can score the ball. I think I'm with you there as well. Uh, Brent Venables doing some things there with the defense. Uh, We'll see what their offense can do down the stretch as the opponents get a little tougher than Nebraska. But as far as like rankings right now, I think I'm with you. All right. Rutgers 3-0 after a 16-14 stick fight against Temple. Uh, Greg Schiano, I mean, uh, oddly shaped head, strong coach. That is Tinder profile. That is, uh, yeah, I agree with both statements. You and I both like Shiano because there was like a written law next to like uh, somewhere with Isaac Newton's laws of gravity that uh, only Greg Shiano can win at Rutgers and he does so and gets the most out of the talent there. Yeah, definitely looks like an enforcer for like the the old Irish mob, but like I wouldn't mess with the guy and he knows how to win at Rutgers. So he at least has that going for him. Don't think it, it translates anywhere else. Minnesota, who right now is one of the highest ranked teams in the S&P. They absolutely love this team, uh, like number one ranked offense or number two to like we're right there with them. Um, but points per game, we got them. But they were 49 to 7 over my alma mater, Mo Ibrahim, running wild. Tanner Morgan, who I believe was still there during the uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall. But I mean, it's you can't really deny what's going on with the Gophers on offense and on defense. But CU is weapons grade cheeks. My, like they need to fire their coach into the sun. Yeah, we haven't seen Minnesota do it at a high level yet, unlike Michigan coming off a Big Ten championship. So I'll pump the brakes a little bit on them. They did it to New Mexico State, Western Illinois, that is a school, and CU, which might be the worst Power 5 team in the country. But we're going to learn a lot more about them as they travel to East Lansing this weekend with all their boat rowing. Ooh, all eyes on that one. We'll touch on that uh, that program there in a moment as well. Uh, Penn State 41, Auburn 12. This was the overreaction of the weekend. Uh, Penn State flies up the board, immediately becomes our second greatest challenge on the schedule, uh, according to S&P, ahead of Iowa now. Uh, 
I mean, I'm not buying it. You know how I feel about James Franklin. I'm pretty sure I know how you feel about James Franklin. But is there uh, is there any truth to this Penn State ascension? No, I watched the entire Auburn game, and I my takeaway was it said more about the Auburn program than it did Penn State. Penn State is not a bad team, but they are not a, like, we're going to contend for a Big Ten championship type team either. Yeah, I get it. They beat an SEC team, but this is an SEC team that is in the midst of just absolute turmoil. They don't even know what's going on with their head coach. Like, I'm pretty sure he's like sleeping with someone in the athletic department. I'm not trying to spread gossip. It's just they're already talking about this guy taking over at Nebraska. So uh, this is not the Auburn of old. Uh, They do that. That freshman running back, Nick Singletary, does look like the real deal. I'll say that much. But he's yet to uh, meet someone the likes of Mozzie Smith. So and I, I just don't believe in James Franklin on the road in a difficult Michigan environment, Ann Arbor environment. I, I'm still not buying it, but uh, that game did become a lot more interesting and exciting and a, definitely a hotter ticket on StubHub. Yeah, and it should be the night game. Let's keep that in mind. Proje- projected out there, night game. It should be the night game, yes. Let's put that out into the universe. Uh, we already mentioned what happened with Maryland. They're still at 3-0. and but let's get to the uh, the main dish here. Washington 39, Michigan State 28 uh, in Washington, in Seattle. Not an easy place to play. And you and I actually were kind of bullish on Michigan State winning this game. But I don't think we realized or maybe we forgot just how bad their secondary was and just how competent Michael Penix is. There's a few things coming into it with uh, Jacob Slade being out on the Michigan State defense. The Georgia transfer safety has been out since game one. Uh, Jaden Reed being out hurt the offense. But uh, all that aside, I mean, everyone deals with injuries. Uh, Michigan State came into this game flat. They could not run the ball. The offensive line was makeshift at best, like really uncertain there. The secondary, the cornerbacks, which are coached by Mel Tucker personally, were abominable. The game was a lot more lopsided than the score indicates. A lot of garbage time and late points for Michigan State. Um, Yeah, man, it was um, a very embarrassing performance, and Spartan fans are – trying to cope with it the best they can, spinning it with, I'd rather play a Power 5 team and test the Spartan will than play a cupcake schedule. I'd rather be undefeated because, you know, <laughs> wins tell the story. So that's just me personally. But I know, again, like, you and I have both, like, taken this as an opportunity to smile and raise a glass to the ether, but also realize no matter what happens with Michigan State now, between now and October 29th, that game is still going to be a dogfight. Yeah, that game is completely different. I'm not going to dance on their graves too much, although I was in Ann Arbor for this game sitting at Connor O'Neill's, a Michigan bar, and you know a lot of the people were cheering on Washington against Michigan State, and the gentleman next to me at the bar had some choice words about the Michigan faithful and what it meant that we were cheering on uh, the loss of a rival, and I was like, my brother in Christ, like, a, this is Ann Arbor, and B, like that is the nature of this rivalry. I, I don't know what to tell you. The Ohio State rivalry is just different. There's a bit of a passing, begrudging respect in that in that rivalry. There's just not that. I think we want to dance on each other's graves more often than not. So I just can't believe that, like in Ann Arbor, we were scolded for for cheering on the demise of Michigan State. Like of all places, I, I can't be safe doing that there. It's very surprising. <laughs> 
That was so weird, man. You told me about that. Just very strange energy. Like, understand, like, that the weird, silly, fun tribalism of sports exists. Of course we're going to root for them to lose. They're doing the same thing for us. Like, it's fine. It's what makes sports fun and enjoyable. So, yeah, he needs to take his ass to Buffalo Wild Wings or Excalibur or something. Excalibur. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's a fine Chili's that's got a 32-incher over there that you can probably put the game on, but, like... Sir, I'm, I'm trying to enjoy the demise of, of Sparty right now, and it's not over for them. It's an out-of-conference loss, so, I mean, they can easily regroup, but it is telling that their deficiencies are on the defense and in the secondary where Mel T- Tucker is supposed to be this genius, and you're paying him ungodly money to do so, and it doesn't get easier, so all eyes will be on that Minnesota-Michigan State matchup. That'll be the other one that I'm tuned into uh, outside of our game for sure. And also um, keep in mind that Wisconsin and Ohio State play this weekend as well. So another good Big Ten clash on the slate. Yeah, a lot of good football. Um, Hopefully I can make it out of the stadium and get to uh, another television. Haven't told my dad that that's what's happening. Like, Sorry, there's too many other good games on here. We've got to park ourselves in front of a television. But, you know, I'm sure I'll take him over. (laughs) Take him over to get a sub or something, you know, treat him, treat him to a nice lunch. But then it's, it's back to college football. These are all, these are all bars, dad. Pick one. Pick one. A hundred percent. Do we have time for a remove the goggles real quick? Let's do it. I'd like to remove the goggles and look at this thing through a, a, just a lens of realism. Let's use some critical thinking here about the statement. Look what college coach X did with X. Imagine what college coach X could do with Y in referring to college coaches that come from small programs and then level up. Every single cycle we do this, we start talking about a college coach that's at some small program, that's at an SMU, that's at a Florida Atlantic, that's at Buffalo. And we're like, well, hey, he did this with them. We assume when we bring him to Auburn or Nebraska, he will do this. And that is just such a flawed way of thinking. For every Matt Campbell, PJ Fleck, there are two Brady Hoax, Tom Hermans, Brian Harson, Scott Frost, Willie Taggarts, Daryl Hazels. It does not always translate like that translate like that you've got to think about things like recruiting bigger names bigger personalities how do you fill out your staff how do you fill out things like your strength and conditioning how does that level up on this next level does that translate does your stuff translate do your does your schemes translate does the uh, row the boat thing somehow that translated that was a giant surprise for me but is that always going to translate i would be surprised is that even going to continue to work i'm already fed up with it i don't know how they're doing it up there in minnesota but maybe they have stronger stomachs than i do What I'm saying is the stuff that makes you unique at a small school will not always be effective at a power five school. So everyone just like, well, why don't you just go get this coach who's over at App State and bring him into Nebraska? If he wins seven games here, he'll win 11 games here. That's just a really flawed way of thinking. Rant over. Just fantastic job by you, sir. I I couldn't agree more. I mean, just you look at him, even people like Neil Brown at WVU, who had immense success at Troy, is now really struggling to gain footing in the Big 12. And yeah, even the Matt Campbell, this was his first year beating Iowa. P.J. Fleck has had his ups and downs at Minnesota. There's no direct translation. 
And it's, it's never going to work that way. People try to project and get the young guy on the come up because that's always the hot new thing. But I mean, it's just crazy that you and I like remember like Tom Herman and Scott Frost were like the guys we're like, man, it'd be so nice to have them. But now that we've like stuck it out with like hardball through the good and the bad and you see the culture and how rebuilt it is and firm it is, it's like, oh, okay, I'm glad they made the decision and not us. Exactly. And I mean, for every swing and a miss, with those guys, there's a coordinator that should have been promoted from within the program or a coordinator at an Alabama or like an even a lesser school like in Arkansas that should be getting looked at. So there's no science to this thing yet. And uh, I just get so sick of like prominent media writers just being like, you want an answer here at Nebraska? Look at this coach that's doing great things at Tulsa. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe. You know, it's it. You got about a forty-four percent shot, you know, or something like that. So uh, that's the end of my rant. Uh, what do we got to close here? We've got. Uh, Want to again remind you about the Sklar brothers? They're going to be in Ann Arbor at the Comedy Club. That's going to be this weekend. Hopefully, I can get some tickets and get in there. That sounds like a great way to end the night after watching us trounce Maryland. Uh, we've got some special guests coming up. And I don't know if we can announce them just yet. So I'll, I'll, I'll hold off. Or do you have any information on that? Should we wait one more week? Let's wait another week. Keep them, you know, anticipation builds it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think anyone cares, but you and I certainly do. That's going to be an exciting one. And uh, the game is still Michigan state. That's, that's still the one. So we want to get together some type of tailgate for that one. Um, I don't know if I'm getting older, I'm definitely getting older. That's just the way that time progresses. But I really think I'm starting to enjoy the golf course a little more. I know it's a little family oriented, a little more so than the parking, than the uh, Ann Arbor parking, the Pioneer High School parking lot, excuse me. But there's a lot to like about golf course tailgating. That might be the place for this year's tailgate. I'm just putting it out there. Dude, I'm going where you're taking me. I mean, you're driving. If you want to tailgate there or on the moon, you know, I'm with you. (laughs) I can pretty much guarantee it'll be one of those two locations, but definitely want to see some people on that one. So uh, reach out to us. We want to uh, definitely enjoy a a couple libations, uh, dance on the grave of Sparty when it really matters. Looking forward to that one. And uh, hopefully it's not at night because that's just going to throw everything into a tizzy. Yeah, it's going to make going to the Lions game the next day real hell to wake up the next morning. Oh, man, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, we're going to watch Hutchinson the very next morning. Well, you know, Godspeed. Uh, our, our parents raised us to be stronger people than this. Michigan football has raised us to be stronger individuals. We will overcome. Uh, great podcast, sir. Really enjoyed having the gals from Views from Stadium Boulevard on. That's going to do it for Out of the Blue. Make sure that you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcast, whether that's on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever. Give us a follow on Spotify, if you if you will. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at Maze and Brew. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.